0: Uh, welcome, David. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Jason. Great to be on.
0: Brilliant. And David has um, the responsibility towards the entire community and you, the audience, that he was the one who encouraged me to sing this song live. If he hadn't supported me and said, Yeah, do it, Jace, I Actually, never I would joking. have started singing. Oh, crumbs. Too late. <laughs> No. <laughs> a quick hello, and we get to go. Welcome to the show, David Bain. Well, thank you, Jason Barnard. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Ooh, and he's got a bit of a tune in him as well, David. Wonderful singer. Lovely to see you here. Uh, today we're going to be talking you. about crafty content creation. I love the word crafty. It all sounds very London, but you're from Scotland, aren't you? <laughs>
1: Yeah, get the C's in there, absolutely. I, I seem to be um, uh, navigating towards um, C brands at the moment for some reason.
0: C brands as in the open sea. Um, oh, no, no, the C highway. brands as
1: in casting cred, <laughs> crafty content creation, has to have a C in it.
0: Right, brilliant. Well, talking of which, we're going to look at the brand cert. We're not going to look at yours. We're going to look at the brand set for casting cred. There you go, that's pretty good. Uh, We've got some delightful site links there. We've got the Twitter. And over on the right, see results about Casting Credit Limited. Your company has a knowledge panel. And if you click on that, we go to the next screen, and we see the delightful knowledge panel uh, founded in 2006. I actually checked it is the correct company. That is your company. So you now, or your company, has a knowledge panel, which is amazing and wonderful. And you see at the bottom there, you can claim it. So if you click on the next screen... You can see that you can claim it with your own sites. Uh, I checked those are your sites. They're 26 weeks to do something. Don't know what the <laughs> thing is, but that's half a year, isn't it? That's brilliant. Took me a while to figure that one out as well.
1: Yes, wow. Um, so I didn't even realize that that existed. I haven't spent any time, I'm afraid, on knowledge panels.
0: <laughs> no, we, I spend my entire life doing it. So I find stuff like this all the time and then realize that nobody else cares.
1: Well, I was wanting to ideally rank um, for my name or have a knowledge panel for my name at some point. Unfortunately, there's a notorious David Bain um, that exists. And I've also registered, I finally got DavidBain.com. It took me about 15 years to get it. So I've got to do something with that. So perhaps that could enable me to do a bit of ranking.
0: Might help a bit, yeah. But how did you get it? Did somebody just forget about it? Another David Bain, I would assume.
1: It was just tracking. Uh, I ended up getting it through Google um, GoDaddy auctions, and then um, seeing that it was uh, available, and then ending up having to bid for it. Um, Just cost me a couple of hundred dollars or so, so it wasn't too bad considering uh, it's something that I really wanted to get.
0: Well, I mean, with I mean, I I was going to say with with a name like yours, which is quite I was going to say common, but that sounds rude. But I can't think of another word for it. Presumably, the bidding was quite excited because there'll be 10,000 David Baines, whereas with Jason there Barnard, there'll be...
1: There were a few, yeah. I, I reached what? out to someone a long time ago that obviously wasn't using it and had some kind of a holding page on there. And he basically said, no, I might use it at some point. So he didn't want to sell it. And he's obviously let it go at, at some point. And thankfully, uh, I uh, was tracking or looking at the time.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, I actually did the same thing, but 15 years ago, I, I somebody else had com, and I managed to get hold of it because they forgot about it, presumably. And mm. I had the, the surprises. I, then my email was jason at jasonbernard.com. And of course he'd use the same email. So I logged into Vistaprint <laughs> and saw his oh, entire order history. It was really oh my goodness. And then you realize how important it is not to lose a domain name if you're mm. using the emails because you lose control of the accounts. And other people can log into your accounts if they happen to use the same um, initial part of their email address. So there's a lesson to be learned. But that's not the point today. The point today is crafty content creation.
1: Yeah, and I, I just, just slightly in relation to content and that conversation, I remember letting a domain name go because I was just fed up of the site. And um, the, the site used to do quite well for me. It was a long time ago, so I used to do things like selling links on there and getting an income through that. But anyway, I let the site go. And then uh, the, 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 the whole website was down and didn't exist. But um, whoever ended up jumping on the domain name, Went into archive.org, nicked my content from a few years previous right. and put it on there. And I thought that's not on, that's not fair, but I couldn't really do anything about it.
0: No, but that is crafty. Definitely crafty. Yeah, and, and Anton's cottoned onto the selling links. I was gonna to try to <laughs> long time smooth ago. over long time that and not talk about it. But yeah, it was so, acceptable. Ha- it was acceptable twelve, fifteen years ago. Right, yeah, when we were both young. Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant.
1: When we were um five.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right, brilliant. Let's get on to crafty content creation because I'm actually quite curious by what you mean because and the word like crafty is immediately kind of saying, the the example you just gave, that for me is crafty. Mm. It's crafty and maybe sneaky. And you're talking about crafty, which is kind of more positive, I would hope.
1: I I was thinking crafty as in good planning. I think too many people don't really plan all the possible mediums when they consider content right it's easy to create a wonderful piece of content either in written form or video form or audio form or just just for one particular medium. but I, I don't think enough people think okay um, this is the natural style of content that I need to produce for this particular medium. So I need to ensure that whatever I'm producing caters towards that preferred style, towards the preferred style of the average consumer in that particular platform. And if you really plan out what you're doing beforehand, then you can incorporate things that, if you're producing audio, video, and written form, for example, you can probably incorporate more things that appeal to a YouTube audience, or an audio-only audience, or great questions that you can perhaps break down and use as social media. But if you Indeed. don't really plan that beforehand, then I think too many people are just thinking, okay, that's that piece of content done, right, let's split it up and send it as many places as we can. But it's not natively produced for the different platforms.
0: Yeah, well, there's a couple of things there. Number one of which is, like most people, I don't really plan, I just do it. And that means that I then have these chunks. So as you're saying, breaking into chunks becomes very difficult, because the chunks don't stand alone. So you can actually chunk your content. I mean, I, I use video a lot. And I start with video and then think how can i chunk that and then how can i make uh, an article out of it uh, is that basically your approach or do you change Yeah your i approach mean, I, I love starting
1: current? with video as well uh, but considering audio at the same time and i've got a decent audio setup the audio's got to be great to the average audio listener because there's a lot of podcasts nowadays. There's something like two million podcasts nowadays. Right. So producing audio, for example, 10 years ago, you could just get away with anything. But nowadays it has to be decent quality. So at the same time as you're producing video, as you're in- interviewing a guest, the guest is got to have decent quality audio. You've got to be recording on separate tracks. You've got to be editing afterwards. And then for video form, um, does it have to be a certain length? Uh, what's the the style of the production you're producing? Is there different um, bumper sections that you can introduce to your video, for example? You know, I've, I've got um, sections Secret like this software. that I thought Ooh. I'd just throw up there. So that's a bumper that I have on my podcast that I produce. But it comes up in video form as well. So it's a little bit more appealing to the um, YouTube audience at the same time.
0: Right, and and you've got special software for the the bumper software, whatever it's said. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've got lots of um, hardware and software. I love playing with different <laughs> things. Um I, 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 I just talk to you through my my kit briefly? And you yeah, can, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean into... that
0: that's kind of before we do that. One thing I was saying is some people think to actually be able to do video, I need enormous amounts of kit. That isn't true. So can we start off by reassuring people you don't necessarily need loads of kit? Then you can show off your kit.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll I'll do that in one way. Um, What I'll do is I'll show you quickly um, what I recommend to start off with audio-wise. And then hopefully it'll show people that um, actually it doesn't sound too bad. So this is my regular setup. And this is fairly expensive in terms of pieces of kit. I've I've probably got about £1,500 worth of hardware in front of me here to produce this audio. But let me turn my microphone off and this one on. So I'll be one second.
0: Right. And while you're doing that, I will fill in with some interesting facts about the world. Okay,
1: Can you hear me now? Hopefully you can hear me now. Okay, so this is me talking through another microphone called the Samsung QTU. And this is a USB microphone. So all you do is plug and play it directly into your computer. Ideally you'll be using a boom arm and a windshield. So it won't sound pristine at the moment,
0: but hopefully it sounds okay, g- g- acceptable. And yeah, I mean, this sorry, microphone for, for a neophyte, somebody who isn't terribly experienced with it, it doesn't sound sufficiently less good than the other one for me to have worried about it.
1: Exactly. So this one's about 60 pounds. Right. And that that that's what I really recommend to begin with. It's a dynamic microphone, which means it's got a small sweet spot in the front. You have to be really good with the positioning of it which has to be roughly four to six inches away from you at an angle, don't speak directly into it, use that boom arm, use the windshield, which I'm not using. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you do that, it, that's where you get started. So that's just to your point that you don't have to spend too much getting started. L- let me just turn this one off.
0: Right, and while you're doing that, I'll say I'm using this. And it's a, a mic. lavalier microphone. And that for me, that works really well. And the reason I like this, it costs about 30 or 40 euros for this particular one. And the reason I like it is because I don't have to think about all the things you just mentioned. I just clip it onto my shirt. And the sound is probably not as good as the stuff you're getting, but it puts me at ease. And I think part of this is the performance. So being yeah. at ease is incredibly important.
1: And, and and that's why you're a video first guy. You you, you just want to be comfortable um, yeah. with what, what you're doing and just just not think too much about audio. And I completely understand that. And it's a decent sound. You know, you you can probably look into it and say there's a small amount of room echo. Yeah. And the negative, negative thing about that microphone as well is that it lets in a few other sounds from outside. So if there's a big lorry goes past your... Um, <laughs> there's a dishwasher going off next door or whatever environment you happen to be in, you probably have to be a little bit careful that there's yeah. there's not so much background noise. Exactly. If you have a dynamic microphone, you're you're less likely to suffer from those sort of things.
0: Right. Yeah, but I mean, it's all a question of balance and kind of making sure you've got the equipment. I think that suits you. I mean, you, you've got your setup. I... I I like having a microphone here, but I prefer having it like this because then I forget about the microphone and, and enjoy the conversation with you, David. Understood. Understood. Right. So uh, I'm not going to persuade you. <laughs> yeah, you can start off with a cheap mic, 60, 40, sixty. Sixty 60 pounds. Yeah,
1: that, that's microphone. I, I reckon to begin with. I mean, I produce podcasts for different clients, and and certainly when it's audio only, you know, it's important to focus on the audio, and that that's the one that I recommend to begin with. You can get started with a uh, Logitech C920. Uh, C. Um. um webcam and and that produces 1080p video um yeah. reason decent quality video and if you've got reasonable lighting that that's a wonderful way to start off and that's probably a similar kind of price as well um j- just a
0: yeah no, so you don't need massive amount of equipment, and you can also do it with your phone anders short d- did a, a conversation a interview with me in budapest and, and it was kind of fun we were using yeah. kind of portable cameras whatever they're called it was great but So you can start off with something relatively inexpensive, as long as it suits your audience and make sure you focus on the great quality sound. But then, if you grow up to be a professional like yourself, David, you have the real kit. God, tell us.
1: Okay, I wouldn't claim to be grown up, but uh, (laughs) so this microphone is called a Shure Super fifty five. It's actually not the best microphone that I've got. Technically, uh, I've got an RE20 microphone, which is a higher cost, more common studio microphone, but I love the look of this one. The only issue with this one is you have to be absolutely spot on with using it. Um, you have to completely talk past it. You can't be oh. too far away from it, otherwise you're really going to drop off. And if I talk into it and go, oh, perfect right, yeah. penguins, then you can really hear plosives there, which are not nice noises. So if you're not comfortable using microphones, is not an ideal microphone to use. But that, that's what I... I I like using because I've changed the sound of it slightly by using the hardware in front of me, which is an art voice channel. Uh, Through the art voice channel, I bring in a compressor, an expander, a high EQ, um, drop down mid levels. I'm getting technical on you here, but I'm going to carry on. Uh, From the art voice channel, I go into a roadcaster and through an XLR cable to the roadcaster. Um I use a 75 Hertz high pass, a noise gate, a DS or a compressor, and a bit more EQ. So there's a there's a lot going on there with the audio. But I, I'm happy with it. Well I'm happy with it at the moment. I'll probably listen to it in a month's time and think I can do better than that. I don't particularly like that and tweak it a bit more.
0: But I mean you've you've gone through lots of processes there and it basically says David Bain thinks sound is the single most important thing.
1: I wouldn't necessarily say it's the Ooh. single most important thing, but I th- I would say it's the the area to start off with. Cool. You know, I wrote a blog post a year ago or so called Six Steps from Starting a Podcast to Publishing uh, a Book. And I recommend that people get started off with an audio-only podcast. And if they're not looking at the video camera, if they're not thinking about how things are written or planning things in visual form, then it means that they can just focus on audio quality. And it's probably a good thing that they can focus on audio quality to begin with, because if they start turning on the camera, the most important thing they'll be looking at is how they look and how they come across. And then they'll kind of forget about audio. So I think audio has got to be natural to people before they move on to, to video, ideally.
0: Yeah, we, we did. Uh, we had a conversation about that in a London park, the six mm. steps that we actually yeah, released. Yeah. And it had some pretty funny moments that we released as funny <laughs> moments. <laughs> and quite a Official. few yeah. Um We kept getting thrown out by the security people. But anyway, that's another story. So sure. kind of the question here is less that now and moving forward into the crafty content creation, which yeah. is what you're saying is plan. It's saying make sure that you can chunk your content make sure it's got those standalone chunks is that correct cuz i never do that yeah yeah yeah, sure. yeah
1: absolutely so essentially it's thinking up it's two things it's thinking about the medium beforehand and all the different mediums that the content is going to be on can, and then secondly just quickly, th-
0: Sorry, for mm-hmm. the mediums, can you just give me a quick list of all the ones you can think yeah, of? Yeah, sure. Your An
1: example, you know, three quick examples would be uh, a, a podcast audio form, um, YouTube, YouTube video form, uh, or a book, a physical copy book. Now, not oh. many marketers, not many digital marketers think of a physical copy book, but that can be a, a wonderful way of building awareness for your brand. And that, and that you know, I could keep on listing different forums, blog post forum, social media post forum as well. And it's it's nice to build that into it. And okay. you can do that, for example, by having different sections in your show or or whatever you're producing that's with social media posts in mind. And then you can perhaps create native videos for a platform like LinkedIn and create captions Mm. for that and maybe make the video a little bit more fancy. And it doesn't take a whole lot of additional effort as long as if you've planned that in beforehand. So that's thinking about the mediums beforehand.
0: Yeah, and you've done that a couple of times, is create a series of videos with different invitees to create then a book afterwards. I remember running back to my house very late to leap on a call on Facebook. I think we were streaming to Facebook. Um, I mean, and that was incredible planning. That took absolutely ages for you to plan because you had to plan the entire... Event and then write yeah. the whole, rewrite the whole content. That's a phenomenal amount of work. Yeah, it was, it was uh,
1: to a certain degree, it was a learning process. And I didn't know that six step process. I know we we're not focusing right. in on that, but I, I didn't know that beforehand. That was looking back in it. That That's probably what I'd advise someone else to do based upon the learnings that I had. And I, I, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't experienced or best at it um, when I did it initially. But looking back on it, I can see more of a process now as well. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to, to do that kind of process for clients as well. And it's easier for me to do now because I'm able to systemize it and think, OK, um, I, I know precisely what the end product is likely to look like. So what I need to produce to satisfy the needs of all mediums.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's having a global view and saying all these pieces fit together to end up with this one final sorry, one final piece on different medium media. Excuse me, I yeah. do apologize. Um yeah, okay. And and then that, that also comes back. You you said you actually become incredibly efficient. How much does yeah. that count in, in your kind of process? I'm actually
1: finally starting to outsource as well, which is which is good. And to be great at um, outsourcing, uh, great at being efficient. You have to know what the system is, how to do it yourself to begin with. So because I've broken the system down, I'm able to do things like, okay, um, produce the transcripts, turn the transcript into something that's readable. Because of course, you can't just offer a book as a transcript. A book has to be looking as if it was actually written for that purpose again. Too many people are a little bit lazy and just don't turn any money, uh, spend any money on turning a transcript into something as if it had been written, particularly for that written form. So I outsource that aspect of it, um, partly because it takes a long time and partly because that's not my favourite medium. I don't absolutely love doing that. No. So I, I outsource someone to do that. And it, it's recognising within that system the opportunities to outsource and further systemize precisely what you're doing.
0: But but I mean, you actually did write a book first, so you knew how it would go. And then you could yeah. then explain to the outsourcing person, the freelancer, yeah. this is what I'm looking for and this is the best way to go about it for this particular project. Is that fair?
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 Because I mean, if, if you just say to the freelancer, hey you go, off you go, they're a going to lo- waste a lot of time and B, probably not do it the way you were expecting or you were hoping.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. And if you're wanting to be doing this on a budget, then you can't afford to be paying someone $100 an hour, for example. If if you want to pay that kind of level, then you can expect someone to be able to take the time to understand the project themselves and just do whatever is necessary. But if you want to pay at the lower end, but still have the higher quality output, then you really need to break down precisely what you're looking to do. And you can still achieve that high quality output, but only if you systematize everything
0: right and and that goes for the for the writing it goes for the video editing too for you and the sound or I, would you I, not ever let anyone touch your sound because no, i, w- so I
1: would do and i'm intending and in doing that so far i've used a limited um amount of outsourcing for video and for audio i've, I've, I've used it a bit but yeah i i kind of like it but i'm um I, I guess I I guess yet to do that kind of area but the 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 first area to outsource was the area that maybe I I struggled with or or didn't enjoy quite so much.
0: Right. So kind of when when you're working with clients I mean I know you've you're working on a lot of projects is you you set out to them here's what we're going to create here's where we how we're going to build the whole thing and we're going to create whatever it's going to be video then clips and then audio and a, and then a book or multiple articles. You actually I, set I it think- out for them
1: in general clients are just use are, are just wanting to receive the great final quality products uh, you know if, if they wanted to get involved that closely in it then they'd probably be more interested in doing it themselves so if you're producing right. a a podcast a video series and a, and, and a book for someone g- generally they they want to see a great quality version for each of those three options um, sure they may be interested in um using content in different ways as well but they they're not they're unlikely to want to be involved in doing things like um booking contributors or yeah. um editing all the content so certainly in, in my experience some clients might be but I, I don't believe that most would be right
0: yeah and 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 for, for, from a pricing perspective sorry i'm now very curious about this is it the case that you say right we're going to make a video it costs like say 50, whatever numbers we're talking about, whatever scale we're talking about. If you want to add a book, it's going to be an extra 20. But if you were writing just the book, it would be 40. So you can actually get that economy of scale as you scale it out to different um, media. I think you
1: get the economy... Of scale by producing different types of content at the same time, so wow. it wouldn't be a lot cheaper by just producing the book, um, certainly in the form that I'm producing it in. Because I'm interviewing, you know, current project that I'm doing, um, I've interviewed 66 different uh, <laughs> SEO experts, now, and, and you know, I, I'm I'm doing that for the book, I'm doing it for video series and for the podcast, but obviously I'm recording them at the same time, so it doesn't take a whole lot of additional effort. You just have to understand beforehand what you're trying to achieve. In the book, uh, and how many people that you require for the, the the whole series, and what you need to structure the the, the right. podcast and videos to to be an enjoyable um, thing to listen to or, or, or to watch for the viewer afterwards. I
0: right, mean, but sixty six is massively or it's, it's, or it, it ambitious, is a bit
1: ridiculous. Yeah, yeah.
0: Why, why why did you go so big? I mean, couldn't you have just done it with like thirty and then had thirty, or did you just want to do something? I...
1: To, well. I, I I overshot basically. I, the the intention was to do fifty to begin with, right? Um, and and then you have a few more, and uh, you you end up with the number that you end up. But I, the worst thing that you you know you can end up with is not enough people and scrambling at the last minute to try and get everyone together. You know it it, it generally takes. It depends on how. Close your relationships are with people. G- generally, I've got quite good relationships with with quite a few people in the SEO community, so I can reach out yeah. to people, and I'm and I'm relatively confident that um, that half of the people that I reach out to will actually participate in a project. Right. But if I'm um, thinking about working in an, in an industry that I don't have any experience in, I, I don't have many contacts, and it may it may be a lot a much lower percentage.
0: Right, and and that that's another question. I mean, if you get somebody coming to you to say, "Right, I need a set of content for something you know nothing about," how would you approach that? I mean, it's incredibly difficult if they're talking to you about, I don't know, um, hand sanitizer for manufacturing.
1: Yeah, it's something it's, topical. I, I would have to work more closely with the client for that. Certainly, um, I'd have to understand the the industry a bit. I mean, to a certain degree, I've had a bit of experience in. Creating content for industries that I know nothing about, because yeah. I, I used to work for a big um, a big training business, and I produced um, digital marketing training programs. Well, digital marketing training programs, but for different industries. So industries I knew nothing about. So I had to apply right. them to those industries and make make sure case studies are accurate as well. So you can apply training and content production principles to industries that you don't necessarily know much about. If you speak to enough subject matter experts for that particular industry and and, and do your research and, and know what you're trying to achieve at the end. So it's possible, but it's going to take more effort to do that.
0: Right. Okay. So we've got this process where we've got potentially multiple different types of media. Uh, Dig down into the craftiness of it. I mean, what are the really good tips and tricks that we're all missing? I mean, I produce loads of video, and I'm sure I'm missing boatloads of great tips and tricks and crafty, um, creative content. I'm trying to think of a C word, but I can't. So so,
1: look, um, I, I, I said there were two main areas of focus that I had. One is ensuring that the content was. As as appropriate as possible for each medium, right? Um, And secondly, um, you had to question whether the content was appropriate for the stage of the customer buying cycle that you were trying trying to target. So, I've I've got um I've actually got a couple of slides here now. This isn't going to be very good for your audio um, listeners, but
0: we've done it before. We did it with Nick Ranger, and we just described the slides, and it was great. It was actually pretty okay. cool. so Ooh. so
1: so maybe Anton just could um, zero in on this. So th- this is j- j- just six slides here. Um, so this is the the standard customer buying um, process or, or 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 cycle for for B two B brands generally, which is awareness, consideration, conversion, loyalty, advocacy. So that's quite a common way of describing um, the process that people go through when discovering a brand. Uh, right through to actually purchasing and then becoming an advocate for that brand, right. so um, that th- that's a relatively common way to look at it. And um, let me just um, right click for on people here.
0: listening, that's an upside down triangle with advocacy right at the bottom, with a very small percentage and a very large percentage at the top with awareness.
1: So, so, so one th- one thing that I started to work on a few months ago, but I haven't really got that far on, is I started to. Um, build a, a marketing model that I call the pump and funnel marketing model. Pump and, and funnel. It
0: sounds like a pub.
1: <laughs> there we go. My kind of marketing model. <laughs> so, so um, you know, I, I turned it into this. We've got this um, this funnel, this three-stage funnel, um, which is um, awareness at the top, consideration, and then conversion at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got the river of loyalty underneath Ooh. when someone becomes a customer after they convert. And then the pump is the advocacy stage where some of these customers are going to love you so much and um, want to shout out about you and uh, turn into advocates for your brand.
0: Right. So Ooh, that's- I, I absolutely love this. I mean, the illustration uh, might perhaps be more Uh, what's the word (laughs) friendly Um, but but what we're looking at is a funnel as you said with awareness at the top consideration conversion with a loyalty river which sounds like harry potter and then a pump that (laughs) pumps the advocates back into the top of the funnel to help make other people aware and that for me honestly david makes Loads more sense than the. I haven't haven't finished
1: yet. I haven't finished yet. Oh, sorry, but you're you're
0: already you're already convincing me. I'm on your side. So,
1: so, so, so you've heard of, um, I'm sure, and many people um, listening, watching will have heard of um, Hero Hub Help. Um, It was originally a a YouTube content model. So it's a model that Google produced to um, train people on on how to produce videos for YouTube. Um hero big splashy incredible content, hub content, episode of content, help content answering specific questions. And I always thought when I used to do digital marketing training that um content was at the center of every single digital marketing activity. Mm-hmm. So Um, Even if you're talking about pay-per-click advertising, for example, you've got to have great content, great copy, great um, call to action, great landing page. So I think the content is the heart of everything. So um, I I like having content at the heart of a marketing model as well, because it helps um, people visualise where the different marketing activities fit in and how everything fits together. So so those are the three main types of content that Google slash YouTube identified. Um, for content for YouTube. And there aren't many content marketing models out there, but you know, I thought that was a good starting point, but I didn't think oh. that was everything. So in general, hero content maps to awareness. Um, so it's your big, splashy, incredible pieces of content. So, um, so that's things like books, virtual summits, short films, like. um, higher cost content in general. Uh, help content is good for social media reviews, blog posts as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Marcus Sheridan's book, Um, They Ask You Answer. Uh, That's a great source of um, what kind of questions you should be answering. And obviously, um, SEOs know exactly where to be finding out those those kinds of um, questions or or, or keywords as well. And then, um, interestingly enough, I think that um, a YouTube channel, a podcast, a course, um, is the type of content that doesn't fit directly into the funnel. So what happens in B2B... Uh, which is 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 the example that I tend to focus in on right. is people will discover you to begin with. They might not be ready to purchase, and then they'll forget about you or, or they'll go out of your regular oh. purchase funnel, but then they'll maybe discover your podcast channel your podcast series or your uh, your course, your YouTube channel. And then that will help to build your authority in their mind. And then they'll gravitate back to your brand, your content, and perhaps ask other questions and come back to the consideration phase after that. So I, I think that's that's good yeah. top of funnel and the, the middle stage of funnel type content.
0: Because I mean, so it, I it, believe- and the, the illustration is actually that the hub stuff is sitting outside the funnel, feeding both of the awareness and the consideration in this little diagram. Sorry, David.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah! Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I don't oh, wow. think that's
0: enough content. So I added,
1: th- I added three other types of content. Um, you just can't
0: stop, can you? Developing no. this theory is brilliant. <laughs> it's like you with knowledge panels, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. It's <laughs> terrible, isn't it, David? But this is wonderful. So,
1: so so, I added three other types of content to it um, that I called heart, happy, and human. It had to be H's, of course, as well. Yes. Uh, so where do they fit in? Well, oh, wow. heart content is the heart of what your business does, i.e. product pages, sales pages, something that describes specifically what you offer and is likely to convert um, that, 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 that viewer, that website visitor, into purchasing from you. Um, happy content, like... Decent welcome packages, product training—you know, something to make someone happy that they actually made a purchase from you, and uh, keep them remembering your brand. Uh, and then human content, actually, really reaching out to people, giving them personal gifts, appreciation, making them satisfied that they uh, they, they became a customer, and then hopefully turning them into a, to an advocate afterwards. So, so that 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 is everything <laughs> that that's all um, that I've put together so far, and um, right. it's 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 quite. Yeah, quite a lot to it, and I've obviously got to take a bit more time to think about it more and
0: no, visualize I love it, it better. This, I, I get the idea. This is the kind of thing that when you started thinking about it, probably woke you up at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> quite frequently as you thought, "Ooh, happy," and "Ooh." Uh, whatever, uh, heart was the other one, wasn't it? And human. Uh,
1: theosaurus, what, what's another H word for this? Yes. <laughs>
0: but but the, the, the diagram you showed, I mean, anybody who's listening on audio only, come and watch the YouTube channel just to get that screen, which is going to be at 32 minutes, I think we're at. Um, sure. And what's wonderful about that is we're currently at CaliCube. We're working on that whole process. Katrina from CaliCube is going to be working on our plan for the next six months. Uh, so that's going to be perfect for us. So that's amazing. What what kind of push you to do that? Because I mean, you were looking at that pyramid and everyone just kind of stops there. Why did you want to go further? Other than the fact well, I was that thinking curious. about the kind
1: of content that I should be producing for the business that I'm in. So I obviously produce podcasts and video shows for B2B brands. So then I'm thinking, okay, what kind of content do I need to produce to attract the kind of audience that I want to attract? So I, I, I'm halfway down the thought process of maybe creating some kind of um, B2B marketing summit with this model. At the centre of it and getting right. experts in different areas, but having this model as a thread throughout it, and then sponsored by my particular brand, because majority of viewers, participants, would obviously be potentially interested in my products or services. So that's why I was thinking about it. But then I've got quite a bit of work on, I'm, I'm thinking nowadays of actually doing something a little bit more specific. Um, so rather than actually jump straight into that, I'm thinking of producing a piece of content that is more even more targeted. So so now what I've got in mind is um I, I'm at the very initial stages of developing a course um, called podcast present podcast presentation skills. So I, I've got the domain name podcastpresentationskills.com and what I've done is I've forwarded that to a survey. So I, I'm just asking people three questions about um whether or not um they would um or, or what what skills they would actually want um to 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 learn in that type of course um, so that's a good way of uh, involving your audience as well so so that that's the type that's the content piece that I'm intending to produce next and it's obviously good as fit in the in the hub side of things but I think it's potentially quite good because it could be appealing to more more than just people that want to start a podcast, actually people that just want to be guests on podcasts as well.
0: Right. I mean, one thing that struck me about the kind of funnel thing that you were showing was the hub is sitting outside of it. So a lot of people would say, well, I won't bother with it then. Um, can, can you go through kind of the logic? Because the idea, people think, well, if they're not in my funnel, I'm not interested anymore. But you're saying entertain or, or it, it, keep it people engaged even sale- if they're not ready now.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that I focus on podcasts for B2B brands again, because I think that um it might not necessarily be the right medium for BTC. If you're looking to drive people through your funnel as quickly as possible, i.e., straight away or with it within a day or so, then then it's possibly not right for you. But right. if your sales cycle is long, if your sales cycle is a year plus long, then people aren't going to remember you, and unless you reach out to them um on this word again, medium, that they they they, they happen um, to be uh, to to be happier to to, to sit on. So they, if they prefer YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, then that's a wonderful place to be publishing snippets or full episodes of your video series or audio, audio series, and then they'll experience you again they'll experience your brand again and they'll remember yeah i was on that site six months ago actually uh, you know I, it well, might be more relevant for me now I'm, I'm going to go back for it so it's a way of 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 reaching out to people who've touched um you know y- y- your brand in the past but not purchased
0: right I, I actually something occurred to me when i was looking at your diagram as well is that instead of having the hub just kind of floating outside you could have it as a cloud above and that when people get into the awareness, but they don't go down, they evaporate into the cloud, they sit in the cloud, and then at some point it rains back down in your funnel. How does that sound
1: that 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 could be that could be a wonderful way to do it or um <laughs> the thing is the thing is, um I think hub content is also great for um improving advocacy, making existing customers happier as well. Right. So if you, if you look um, at, at the model, I'll just, just put it up again for a second. So you've got um, um, the YouTube channel, the podcast course, the hub content um, linking to Happy Heart, Help and Hero. Um, so it's, look, it's linking to all those right. other h's so yeah, that's if that's where my if someone, theory
0: falls through obviously is that yeah that was a nice way of saying that yeah, pu- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it hooks into all the parts of the of the funnel and i had completely missed that Thanks.
1: Look, I, I, obviously, it's a theory at the moment, and I, I, I'm I, open to
0: um,
1: feedback. No, 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 feedback no, sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to
0: tell you how to design your delightful drawing and your theory. But sorry, what it's actually brought home to me is the part that I'd missed the first time is that the hub content is p- potentially the most important since it feeds into all of the parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it could be even where people discover you as well, and then then they go to your hero content after that. Generally, people discover your your hero content first, if you do a good job of that. Right. But uh, your, your, your your hub content, your episodic content, um, is a wonderful way of just driving people slowly in the funnel without them being aware that they're slipping further down your funnel. Oh, missus.
0: <laughs> and you now realise you're part of the CaliCube hub content.
1: I I I am indeed. And um and uh, Happy enhanced to be here. by the process. Yes.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So kind of from from your perspective, you're saying by, I mean you said earlier on no a digital marketing strategy is all about content. And content No, I,
1: is- I, I, I say I say a content um is the is the center point for right, your digital marketing me. strategy. So other forms of so, so, so all the different forms of digital marketing um, link into the content and link into different stages of your mm. marketing funnel. So, if 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 you have you know retargeting, for example, that can fit back into your consideration and con- conversion phases. So, but but mm. but but you don't link from retargeting to consideration and conversion because that's that's not what customers do. What customers do is they link from retargeting into help heart content. And, and and if you think about it like that, oh. then you're thinking about it more from the customer perspective, um, the content perspective, instead of the funnel perspective.
0: What what I found, sorry, 100%, that makes total sense. And what I found is a lot of the, the clients I've worked with in the past, at least, focus so much on that kind of bottom of funnel convergence stuff, they don't actually create the content for the the help and the hero, and certainly <laughs> not the hub. And that's a total mistake. I mean, I I actually find it difficult working with companies that do that because you don't have anything to get a grip on. You're always trying to convert right off the bat, and that prob- yeah, that's probably where you need your work.
1: analytics, isn't it? To 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 dive into uh, how long does it take before someone becomes a customer? How many touch points? Um, and 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 how many people are you missing out on because you, you're you're not giving them an opportunity to re-engage with you if they're not ready to buy.
0: Can you use analytics then to analyze kind of where people are are kind of, well, not obviously individual people, but where the holes are in your content? Have you got a way to divide your analytics into all those different chunks?
1: I'm probably more of a fan of simply... Talking to customers and, and mm. getting a feel for you know where did they come from um what what did they prefer to to resonate with and um and and then going through content opportunities myself manually using wonderful tools like Google Suggest or Answer the Public to identify you know, mm. specific um, content or or question answering opportunities for the consideration phase um, and then maybe brainstorming myself opportunities for the awareness phase based upon what other competitors are doing and. Answer and um, and um, gaps in the marketplace as well.
0: Brilliant. So a human approach, and I mean that seems to me to be your entire approach from the beginning of this conversation right to the end. Thank you very much, David. That was absolutely awesome. I have learnt loads, and I'm terribly glad we had you on right now because this is exactly the advice CaliCube needed. So Wonderful thank deal. you, thank you, David. Thank you for everybody for watching. I'm just going to announce next week. Next week it's going to be Mike King. Um, And if we can show that screen, it's going to be, there you go, the value of content engineering, whatever that might possibly mean. But Mike's going to explain it. He's delightful and, as you can see, incredibly cheerful, incredibly smart. And this, I'm looking forward to it because I really want to know what content engineering is and what's its real value. David, can you pass the baton, please? I can
1: indeed. And I've been privileged to be able to interview mike on probably three or four different occasions and he's so engaging he's so intelligent about um highly technical areas of seo but he's also creative and funny and he's a great musician as well so i look forward to seeing his duet with you jason
0: Oh, right. Yeah, you did the answer response thing with your little song, which was absolutely delightful. And I would love to sing a duet with Mike, but I suspect he's just going to rap right back at me after I <laughs> sing my silly song. Thanks a lot, David. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, David. Mm. See you later, <laughs>